0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. participating in McDonald's for a limited time.
1: Today on Query and Company.
2: So to be fair, Jimmy Cook, because I'm a man of fairness. I was pretty harsh on Indiana when they got blown out at Nebraska, right? You were? So I guess I probably should come down pretty hard on Purdue for getting blown out at Nebraska, right? I would argue that,
3: not that I want there to be a double standard, but when you look at the two resumes, just this season alone, not even the last five years like we talk about. Purdue's earned
2: benefit of the doubt and they, Indiana's not?
3: Yes. It, it In this season, just exclusively this season, not even taking into account the last five-year stretch where it's been clear that Purdue has been the superior program. Just looking exclusively at this season, Purdue has earned a night like that.
2: Let me ask you this question. Would you like a team? And I want you to tell me what all these guys have in common. But do you like a roster that looks as following? And let me read them off to you. Okay. Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, Aaron Neesmith, Jalen Smith, Oscar Shebway, Andrew Nimhard, Jairus Walker, Isaiah Wong, Isaiah Jackson, Kendall Brown. I'd run with that team. Yeah, let's go. Would you say that that team from an NBA standpoint gives you some veteran leadership?
3: Yes, I would argue towards the bottom of that, there's a good mix. Some younger names towards the tail end, but But yes. But you
2: like the maturity of a Tyrese Halliburton. Absolutely. You like the maturity of a Benedict Matherin. I do. You like the maturity of an Aaron Nesmith Yes. You like the maturity of a Jalen Smith. Sure. You know what all of those guys have in common? What do they have all in common, All of those Jake? guys are older than Xavier Johnson, <laughs> who Indiana should leave it in New Jersey. They should say, you know what? You've been a good player. You've hit big shots for us. You've been an exciting player. But here's the thing. You acted like a jackass last year. You embarrassed the roster. You embarrassed the franchise or, you know, the program by driving like 90 miles an hour up Walnut or whatever it was. And we just kind of looked the other way with that. We just kind of let it go. You know, it's the off season. People forget about it. Bottom line is, you know, we didn't go out and do anything to get ourselves outside shooting. And we need this guy because he's an outside shooter. So we're just going to look the other way. We're just going to let it slide. People forget about it. And then when he comes back and he hits big shots that helps us in Lincoln, Nebraska, or when he hits big shots that lifts us to a big win against bottom feeder Rutgers, <laughs> all will be forgotten. But instead, he goes into the game as a 24-year-old that is older than players that we just said are mature NBA players, and he acts like a complete jackass. Xavier Johnson should be left behind. Sorry. You haven't done anything. I I know he was hurt. Don't get me wrong. But he's been a liability at times the entire time he's been at Indiana. And for a program that prides itself on being a little bit different, programs that are a little bit different don't compromise their principles because they think a guy might be able to help them out in an area where they did zit nada to help themselves elsewhere. I hope he enjoys the Statue of Liberty because he should be able to get a nice tour of it today, perhaps with like an $8 (laughs) ticket. Right? Yeah, I mean. I mean, you might as well look at the crown jewel of the United States if you're going to be hitting the crown jewels of another player in a game and getting ejected when your team needs you and needs the only thing that you bring to the table because you didn't do anything to get any area of help in that regard elsewhere. Looking at that incident, just
3: that in a vacuum, not the entire body of work. Because when you look at the entire body of work, I'm, I'm right there with you. But that's the type of play that I would expect Gabe Cups to make or CJ Gunn to make. Like somebody that's just inexperienced and fighting through a screen and perhaps you're a little frustrated and your hand goes a bit low. That's not something I expect from the 24-year-old 50-year senior or right. whatever he's on at this point.
2: Yeah, He's like a 60-year senior, yeah.
3: right? And regrettably, Jake, I don't know that they can leave him behind. Like, whether you believe that they, which I do, that they attempted to acquire guards in the portal, it just did not work out for them. They missed on a number of pieces they went after. They're stuck with what they have now. And we've seen without Xavier Johnson what this team is. They're too young. They're too inexperienced. They're still not great at outside shooting. I was looking at the numbers and a shout-out to, I didn't think I would name-drop this, but shout-out to my former meteorology professor, at IU, shout out Cody Kirkpatrick, because he tweeted this last night. They have been 200th or worse in free throw shooting. Every year Mike Woodson's been here. Like, we're talking about basic fundamentals, let alone the turnover aspects the last two games. They're turning over on 20% of their possessions when they're on the road in the Big Ten. And then focusing exclusively on Xavier Johnson, to some extent, you went with a gamble, kind of like we talked about the Colts did at certain positions this year. You went at a gamble with Xavier Johnson, and your only hope for a strong campaign this year with still a ton of basketball left
2: is him turning a corner, and I don't know if he's capable of it. I thought about this on the way in, Jimmy, because I try to always be consistent, quite frankly. If I'm going to ask players to be consistent in their performances, it's only fair that I, as a radio host, am consistent, right? And I try to be consistent. And I was very critical of Indiana when they got beat at Nebraska. So I thought, you know what? I've got to be critical of Purdue. For, and, yeah, it was a bad performance for Purdue. Nebraska's, I think, we're starting to learn. You know, they're a pretty good basketball team. That said, I'll revert back to something my dad said to me when I was in high school. I'll revert back to a lot of things my dad said to me when I was in high school. But I remember once I got in trouble for something. I don't remember what it was. my dad said you've got to make a decision i go okay and he said there are two kinds of people in this world jake there are good people that make bad decisions and there are bad people period that just that occasionally might do something good to make people think that they're like a good person but they just are somebody who consistently makes bad decisions or there's just there's a good kid that occasionally makes a bad decision and to be fair at this point Purdue is a basketball team that looks like a good basketball team that occasionally has bad nights. And Indiana, I'm not saying they're a bad basketball team, but to this point, we don't have enough body of work or evidence to believe that Indiana is a good basketball team that makes that has bad nights. They're just a poorly put together roster. There's no identity. That, doesn't, that, that has no heart, yep. no desire. Like, why do people, why do these Indiana fans, and listen, I grew up with a ton of them, and I was – my life revolved around IU basketball when I was a kid growing up, but why do Indiana fans continue? You ever see the movie Fever Pitch? Yes. And that would I think it's is it Fever Pitch with Jimmy Jimmy Fallon? Fallon? Yes, yes. About Drew the Boston Barrymore, Red Sox. Yep, yep, yep. And there's a line. He's coaching a little league team, and he like he's he's totally distraught because the Red Sox lost the night before. And this little kid says to Jimmy Fallon, he goes, Coach, why do you continue to put your heart into the Boston Red Sox and love them when they've never loved you back? And for Indiana basketball, I get it. People are chasing the high of when Indiana did, in fact, love them back. But for the last three or four years, why why do people put emotional investment in it? Didn't you watch that game last night and think to yourself, at some point, if you're an Indiana fan, and for that, for the most part, if you're a Purdue fan, at what point are you sitting there thinking to yourself, I might as well flip over and watch old episodes of Family Ties because at least I should get something out of Peacock. I can watch old IndyCar races. At least, like, I paid for this Peacock subscription to watch this crap. So if you're an Indiana fan, you're like, let me think about this. I set aside my Tuesday evening. I I subscribed to an online subscription streaming service to watch my team. I put on my jersey and my face paint. I got my little victory cigar ready like the guy that, that – does the happy feet dance whenever they sign a big recruit that we're convinced is going to take him to the promised land. And then I turn it on, and they're, these guys have zero interest in being there. And then afterwards, the coach is like, I don't know. It's weird. Don't ask me about it, though. I mean, I'm, I'm I listen, I was an all-star at Broader and I played in Indiana, so you can't ask me any questions about it. You know, I coached a 500 Knicks team. Okay. Good. Great. It's like that old song. What have you done for me lately? Right? A a year ago, and it's
3: not at the level of expectations that the Indiana fan is rooting for, right? (laughs) But at least a year ago, you had a blueprint of, well, Jalen Huchfino, Trey Jackson davis maybe they work it into a two-man game, and there's times where this is fun. They didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve last year, but at least there was a clear-cut identity of, okay, this is what this team does. You know they're going to struggle from beyond the arc. They might turn the basketball over at times, but you have two players that are likely going to the NBA. Maybe that's enough. And this year, there's been no adequate replacement for Jalen hood Shafino. And at spots, Khalil Ware looks like, okay, maybe that's someone you can run an offense through. And there's other times where everything else is so discombobulated, they're turning the basketball over, they're struggling at the foul line, they're still missing from beyond the arc. Where is the identity of this team? What can you hitch your wagons to for the final 20 games of the season? A year ago, it was a totally different conversation because at least you had those two pieces. Now,
2: I don't know where it is. I don't know who you can count on. Yeah, the, the one thing about Indiana, and I, this is definitely old man yelling at clouds. But when – I think so many people – that's my point, Jimmy. Like, so many people that are fans of Indiana are all in on, like, this is my program. This is my school. This is my state. This is my team. And it does, I think, for some of those people, I would hope, bother them that there are guys that are like, actually, I'm just a mercenary that I needed a place to go that would give me the most NIL money before I get to the league, so here I am. So, I, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I – I, I – I, I, I got confused when I was putting on the Indiana jersey because sometimes I forget who I play for. <laughs> uh, Jake, being a fan is not a choice. It's just something that lives inside of you. If you're one of those that's just wanting to be entertained, then turn the channel. Okay.
3: And I, I, mean, res- I, that, I respect that from fans. That, right? Like, I, like The message of today I, is I not, hey, course. stop
2: rooting for them. No, I get it. It's more, what have they done to But, but listen, that? But listen, you want to see. I think... Fans of Indiana and fans of Purdue. I mean, look, I'm not. I, I can't sit here and not let Purdue off the hook after last night. A totally flat performance. They had some guys that just did not show up. Right. Yeah. And at some point with Purdue, we have to we have to quit saying, well, they just got beat because the other team shot the ball really well. Well, I, I mean, get out and guard it then. Right. I mean, they, it goes. But from the Indiana standpoint, I think the thing about the Indiana game. First off, Rutgers sucks. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, let's just be real here. Yes. Like. This isn't like I mean Rutgers Rutgers did they hang a banner yesterday like beat Indiana won eight 1 game 8 okay woo
3: well actually they just have one banner and it just says nine of the last 11 seriously all they
2: have to do we is own add to Indiana it. Yep, right
3: pretty much yep yep
2: I mean the first the first the, the the Indiana territory was first deeded to William Henry Harrison as the governor because he helped win in battleground over Tecumseh, right? Well, Rutgers has now taken Indiana from William Henry Harrison. They're like, we own it. We we own the state. We We got it. We're good. Nobody even knows where we are. We had to rename ourselves Rutgers State University of New Jersey because nobody knew where we were. Nobody knows why exactly we're in the Big Ten. We don't really bring a lot to the table, but we beat Indiana every year. And Indiana looked like it wanted to be anywhere. And I don't blame him for this. I mean, I've been to all 50 states, and New Jersey's number 50 for me. I don't blame him for not wanting to be in New Jersey last night. But like most of the guys at Indiana, it looks like a New Jersey is actually what they want to put on because they don't want to be there for Indiana. Xavier Johnson should put on a New Jersey uh, the next game he plays because it shouldn't be Indiana's. You're 24 years old. You go out. You get ejected from a game. And don't tell me about like, well, he's... Missed time due to injury, and so he's rusty. If I was willing time to due to first time. If he's missed time due yep. to injury and he's rusty, then you think he wants sure. to get out there and play and
3: compete. First game, I, I'll allow that. Second game, and they're not even make it to the finish line. I can't mark that as rust, especially the way it happened. Like that game at Nebraska, like I'm willing to look at it and say, all right, well, I mean, it's first game back. It'd been a long layoff. Here's, here's a little riddle a for second. you.
2: Here's a riddle for Indiana fans. Name two things that are dusty. Name two things that are dusty. The banners at Indiana and the guy that should be coaching them. How's that? Give me somebody that at least goes out there and looks like they have a game plan, can make adjustments, understands substitutions, and doesn't belittle people for asking questions about any of it. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's I... what Indiana fans would love to see. And the other
3: frustrating part, and this predates Mike Woodson a bit. I'm not going to sit here and be the guy that's like, oh, look at what it used to be and this is unacceptable because it is. That's, you know, you accept that to begin with. But you look at a matchup when Indiana's going to Rutgers when the schedule comes out every year, you don't expect it to go well. Like, how many years would you look at that matchup and say, no, Indiana's going to go in there. They're going to win. Now I see Piscataway on the schedule. It's like, all right, well, you know, it's going to be a nightmare. Right? How many different ways can you finish this mad lib of why did Indiana lose to Rutgers?
2: How did Nebraska completely negate for the first three quarters of that game last night, the college basketball player of the year? A lot of physicality, and they were
3: letting him play. Like, you you could tell, and I make jokes all the time when it's a former player on the broadcast, but even Robbie Hummel acknowledged this. Like, the way they were allowing Nebraska to play and fight in the post with Zach Eady, it's probably the most I've seen a team defensively be able to fight with him toe for toe and there not be fouls whistled that way. And because that they were able to get away with that aspect of it, they were able to rotate to shooters quicker defensively and made life hard for Purdue. There's some stance of it where I thought Purdue was going to come back and win that game, and the conversation today would be, look at how deep this Purdue team is. Look at how many more weapons they have, especially beyond the arc. It doesn't matter if you take Zach Eady away. They're able to do it from the perimeter. And for the second time now this season, Not to say it's necessarily a formula to beat Purdue because they can beat you in a lot of ways, but against Northwestern, much smaller volume of three-point attempts, shot at about 26%. Against Nebraska, again, both these games on the road, better percentage, about 30%, but you go like 13 of 33. The question still remains, are there going to be nights, regardless of how deep they are, where either by high volume or average volume, Purdue still struggles beyond the arc combined with a night where Edie's
2: average. Average still looks pretty good. but For sure. And I get it. But he was negated, though. Yes. He, they didn't really get him going until it was hate, too late, basically, right? Until yeah. things were gone. Yeah. I, I think the thing last night that happened with Purdue, a couple of things probably took place. First off, you get, you get one team that is – you know, Nebraska – I mean, fourteen to 30, twenty-three from three-point range. I got that, that's. You got to get out and guard that. Don't get me wrong, right? But that's it's probably They can flat out game. shoot yeah, right. I right. mean, they can flat out shoot. I think what happened to Purdue last night once they they kind of negated Edie, and and I say this only because you hope this isn't some sort of a blueprint, Farley Dickinson, that that teams look at, and and start to pound towards in March, and by that I mean. If you can somehow get physical on the inside with Purdue. And they didn't get anything really from Caleb First or from Kaufman Wren. So so they're getting no help in that area. But what they did was Nebraska not only kind of took Edie out of the game, but Nebraska was shooting from the outside at a rate that Purdue tried to keep up with that instead of staying with their bread and butter. They took Purdue away from what Purdue typically wants to do. And, you know, Purdue shoots 33 times from beyond the arc. And in most games, that's going to be okay, except for that you're going against a team that's hitting them at an alarming rate. But it Nebraska, kudos to them. They took the toy out of Purdue's hands, basically, and just said, we're going to control here the way that we play.
3: And you tip the cap to Fred Hoiberg, and you look at Nebraska, and you mentioned to start the show how hard you were on Indiana against Nebraska. I would still argue, and I think you would too, it's warranted considering what they did in Piscataway last night. But I think Nebraska's real. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying they're going to win the national title this year, but I think this is a different year for them. And they now have their signature win where you can't fall apart in the rest of Big Ten play. But there's some level of if you, I mean, not go 500, but as long as you're a couple games over 500 in conference, you're probably going to have a nice seed line if you're Nebraska. And that's a complete turnaround for where they've been the last three years.
2: So let's recap, Jimmy. The last, I guess now at this point it would be like 90 hours of <laughs> Indiana sports. Okay? I want to – listen, this is – right now this is Purdue down 13 in Nebraska or Indiana down double digits at Rutgers, meaning – it's really tempting to just grab the knob and change it. I get it. I get it. So, I'm asking people please, hear me out for like 90 seconds because we're we're going to do this together. We're going to collectively take a deep breath, okay? And we're going to do this together. Serenity now. In the last 90 or so hours in the state of Indiana if you are a sports fan. Things started out Saturday with so much fever pitch. Oh. Win and get in. Win and get in for the Indianapolis Colts. You've got Jason Tatum and the mighty Boston Celtics coming to town. Bring right? them
3: on. Just took care of the Bucks. We're going to do it to the Celtics
2: next. There's a ton to be excited about. Mm-hmm. And since that time, people here were able to watch the Houston Texans win the AFC South.
0: Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. And participating McDonald's for a limited time.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you
2: and take away a home playoff game. They saw the Celtics win at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. They saw Indiana sure beat Ohio State and then turn around and get and look as flat as flat can be at Rutgers, the Mighty Scarlet Knights. The Mighty Scarlet Knights of Rutgers, Purdue. Goes to Nebraska. No show. Beaten by 16. At least a former Pacer got a win in Fred Hoiberg, there you right? Go. There you go. But after that disappointment of the weekend, you thought to yourself, on Tuesday I've got Indiana and Purdue playing. We just talked about what happened there. Monday night, that's cool. I'm going to go watch Tyrese Halliburton put together a triple-double in a Boston Celtic loss. Well, instead he's out like, what, four weeks probably, right? Yeah, two to four, yep. Brutal stretch. Brutal. By the way, you see the last two-minute report,
3: which I hate, by the way. Like, I think that is very counterproductive for the league, but did you see the last two-minute report uh, that released for the end of that Celtics-Pacers game yesterday? Well, that was yesterday, right, when they basically said, like... They said Porzingis did, which I still, like... This isn't a fan in me. This is visually being there and looking at it. I thought that Chris Porzingis clearly hits Benedict Matherin on that triple. League says no, wasn't enough contact for a foul. They did, though, which... Again, it's kind of a double-edged sword here. You say that one foul doesn't happen, but they did affirm the overturn that happened on Jalen Brown getting hit in the head, allegedly, right? Like, the Celtics are very mad about that. You brought it up yesterday. There was a discussion on Twitter. Oh, this the fix is suddenly in for the small market pay. Well, it wasn't a foul. They were right when they challenged. They were right when they overturned it. Just apparently they were wrong on the Porzingis
2: foul. But anyway. Uh, this from Don Hall. Jake, Xavier Johnson not only hit him in the jewels, he also grabbed and yanked. He should never wear an Indiana uniform again. I love this point right here. It's perfect. He reminds me of Draymond Green in the sense that he will sooner or later do something that will hurt the team. Sooner or later? You mean like for the seventh time? Here's the thing about Xavier Johnson. This is the one thing about Xavier Johnson that that I actually can appreciate. He's the one consistent aspect of Indiana basketball? He's the one guy that I can look at and say, Finally, a college athlete that stayed around college in more schools longer than I did right you're willing to pass that torch sure I mean but I didn't go around like when I got my stopped hitting people in the when I got my senior year when I got my fourth chance I took the most of it sure right yeah when I got my fourth chance I went there and said you know what enough's enough I'm gonna get this done and I'm gonna buckle down and I'm gonna do it now granted I was 50 but but he's 24 years old you know, they really say, they've done studies on he's this. He's 25% the age of half of the guys he's on the floor with. There should be a maturity level there, right? Yeah, but they've done studies on it, though,
3: Jake. Usually, you don't get your last nut shot in until after you've turned 25. Okay. I mean, it's okay. just, it's, you have to good. take that into account. Okay. It's important.
2: Oh, there we go. Nice work there. Thank you. I mean, honestly, if there wasn't a precedent, at some point, he's going to do something for Indiana where you're going to have to say to yourself, it's on you. Indiana, that's on you. Everybody and their mother knew that this guy eventually was going to embarrass your program. What's it going to take? They just thought people would forget about it. He was doing 90, driving around Bloomington. People just forget about it. We're not going to say that we're going to handle it internally because it's the offseason. And you know what? We need shooters. We think maybe C.J. Gunn might be able to shoot, but like then he goes out there in the games. and uh, Okay. And Gabe Cups is like the Ohio Damon Bailey, but we're not sure he's ready to shoot yet. But wait till you see him; he's going to be a great player and save the franchise and and the, or the program. And you know he's going to be because he's a big time recruit. And McKenzie and Baco, I mean that, that guy's the best shooter that we've had here since Jimmy Rail. But just wait; I mean it'll come eventually. Sometime around June, it's really going to come together for him, and you're going to see how why he's a top five recruit. Except for that at that point, he's going to enter the either the portal or the draft lottery. Um, and Khalil Ware, I mean that guy can really shoot. At, you know and he would have shot a lot more at Oregon if they hadn't actually run him off, even though he was a top five recruit, and for some reason they didn't want him anymore because he didn't care about the way he played. But that's cool. I mean, you know, I mean, he'll be great at in Indiana. Just wait. I mean, he's going to be great, just like Hunter Praya was. I mean, come on. I'm just fatigued by it. So I decided. Here's what we're going to do. I got a question for you on the other side that's going to cleanse our palate. Okay. We're going to cleanse our palate Love and we're going to do it cleanser. we're going to do it in group therapy. I want people calling in right now whether you're an Indiana fan or Purdue fan. This is one of the beautiful things about today. One of the beautiful things about today is Kumbaya. We're all going to come together because Purdue fans Indiana fans we're all in the, right now we're in the same vat of suck. So, we're going to actually talk it out and we're going to work it out. And we're going to do so in an exercise that I guarantee is going to be fun for people. So I need callers to call in at 239-1070. And Jimmy, you and I are going to hold hands, not really, but figuratively, and we're going to work this out, and we're going to get through it together today on a hump day Wednesday. The, the hump feels like Mount Everest. My heart already feels warm. Thank you. That's what we're going to do next. I, I need audience participation. Please, I'm asking, I'm begging of you. But Jimmy and I are going to talk some things out. This song was so big when it came out. Like an entire summer. And then later, you find out that it was just literally done on a bet of Mark Knopfler overhearing two guys talking in a hardware or a, uh, an electronics store and writing down their conversation and seeing he can make a song out of it, which is awesome because it was literally one of the best songs of the 80s. Um, joining us now on the program, and by the way, good afternoon to you here on a Wednesday. My name is Jake Query, Jimmy Cook here as well. Eddie Garrison is. Celebrating his anniversary today by going to the Pacer game because when he is not running the board for the Indiana Pacers, he's celebrating his anniversary by going and seeing them live. Joining us now on the program, a guy that I'm sure probably has his arms up in the air in terms of what we've been talking about all day is Zach Osterman. Uh, Zach, first off, and I am always going to take opportunity to pat myself pat myself on the back over this because I say it every time. But like in the Ten years now that you and I have known each other, I think that's the first time I did not ask for clarification on the pronunciation of your name. Do I get a ribbon?
5: You know what you get? You, you get to choose. You get you get one of two. Okay. You get money for nothing or the chicks for free. <laughs> that is
2: outstanding. <laughs> well played, by the way. You know, well played.
5: We gotta install some microwave ovens while we're at it. Right, Zach? It, it is a great song. I mean, it's it, it, so catchy as somebody who and you'll hate me for saying this but i feel like that migrated to quote unquote all stations like sometime when i was in high school Isn't that
2: depressing so like
5: it, yeah i mean well you, you got to remember where i'm at now where the stuff the concerts i was going to 20 years ago or like what the kids sing at bars now and i'm just like what's what's going on what are you people doing here so well
2: just wait until comes- the music just wait till the music that you were listening to in bars is now being played in elevators i mean that's what it's really like holy cow <laughs> Like what are we if doing here? If somebody starts screaming "Mr. Brightside" at me in an elevator, I'm calling the police. That's exactly right. Hey, um, listen, l- let's start with this. I, how is Xavier Johnson like, still doing this at 24?
5: Yeah, I think the well. <laughs> do you mean playing college basketball, or do you mean uh, specifically what happened? Yeah, Tuesday just night? just Maybe. I
2: mean, uh, okay, kidding yeah. aside. I mean, look. The reality yeah. is I know he's a talented guy, Zach, and I don't know him as a guy. He may be a super nice young man. I don't know. But it just seems to me like at some point you have to say to yourself, we are playing the law of averages and it's not working in our favor because the law of averages says he's going to do something stupid that hurts the basketball team more often than he's going to help.
5: And I think, I mean, what I would say, I don't know if this is in his defense so much, as just kind of pointing out that, you know, he's, there have been moments when, you know, and, and, you know, I'm a, a big soccer fan. There there are players who are very good at, for lack of a better term, um, winding up other players, winding up opposing players, just, just little things that, that start to get guys frustrated and make mistakes and things. But sometimes when you live on that edge, obviously you kind of, you kind of fall over the, the, the wrong side of it. I think that's a little bit of what happened with Xavier Johnson Tuesday night. I, I think What's probably more frustrating, and Mike Woodson mentions, you know, it, it was it was interesting to me that Mike Woodson mentioned every senior by name, talking about leadership issues Tuesday night because he because he said, "I don't have any problem with Anthony Leal. Anthony Leo's giving me everything I need, um, everything I everything I ask for. It's the other three, basically, is what he said. And he said it more artfully than that." but he named Xavier Johnson, he named Anthony Walker, he named Trey Galloway and you know this is what 3 days after Xavier Johnson says following the Ohio State game, you know, I've grown up, I'm still growing up, I'm always growing up. Well then something like this happens and and I understand anybody who sort of says, well that doesn't that doesn't really track. You know, that you can't you don't get to kind of say that out loud and then have something like this happen and And get that to sort of be, I don't know, the narrative you're pumping or whatever term you want to use. Um, But I think it's clear that, you know, one way or the other, it is contributing to a wider frustration that Mike Woodson is feeling heavily enough to be willing to talk about it in public.
3: Zach Osterman is our guest. Zach, when you look at the rest of the season... There's no doubt that there will be opportunities for them to secure quad one wins because of the nature of the Big Ten, and there will be opportunities for them to fine-tune a tournament resume. When you look at their body of work, five games into the Big Ten schedule, albeit very early, but at this point in the season, are they capable of taking advantage of those opportunities? And how much of it comes down to a guy like Xavier Johnson, a guy like Trey Galloway, the seniors that Mike Woodson is calling out being more consistent on a nightly basis
5: i mean i i don't think it's fair to have your doubts if you have them um over whether they are capable at this point unless ohio state net ranking has jumped and i didn't notice it indiana didn't have a quad one win right now um obviously the michigan win and again i haven't looked at, admittedly i haven't looked at the net in the last like 48 hours so if something's changed somebody feel free to correct me but the Michigan win has not aged well. That's not on Indiana, but it's not helping Indiana. Um, they obviously didn't get much out of, of anything out of the non-conference season. You know, you, right now you're in a situation where I don't think Indiana's got a quad one win. And listen, it's, you know, I say this all the time. It's, it's January 10th. I, 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 my personal rule of thumb is to keep a real, a real damper on discussing bracketology and things that that sort of specifically, you know, sort of projectable until after Valentine's Day. That always feels like when it kind of becomes less theoretical and more real. Um, Having said all that, you know, the the talking point, frankly, of the Big Ten season for a lot of teams is there aren't going to be many of these Quad One opportunities. You know, realistically, the conference just isn't in a place where it's putting a lot of those on the table, and when you see Indiana struggle to beat Rutgers on the road, um, obviously struggle with games like UConn and Auburn, um, then it's it's kind of hard to make you know a really compelling case for the idea that Indiana's, for example, going to be able to, let's say, sweep all of Purdue, Wisconsin, Michigan State at home plus grab, you know, something of at least some quality, like, for example, maybe an Ohio State on the road. Um, because the the opportunities, Big Ten is not sort of overflowing with opportunities for these kinds of wins this year. And at the moment, anyway, I, I don't really blame anybody who says, I, I don't know, any, you know, I don't really blame any Indiana fan who says, I'm not sure I see this team as capable of doing enough in those situations to build a tournament resume, given that there really is, nothing carrying over of quality from the non-conference. Now, again, I come back to, you know, like, I think basically today, a year ago, Indiana was in the midst of, or maybe at the tail end of that three game losing streak that a lot of us thought, Jesus, this team, you know, has it, has it kind of lost itself? Is it in a tailspin? Xavier Johnson might be out for the year and they can't play defense. And how's this all going to fix itself? And obviously they did. So that's why I always sort of exercise caution when we have these conversations in early mid January, but I'm not sitting here and telling anybody who feels like Indiana's got some, that there aren't maybe some warning signs, um, on Indiana's resume so far that they're, they're wrong to feel that way. Zach Osterman
2: is our guest from the Indianapolis star talking about Indiana basketball. Zach, I really do like, and look, Indiana has individual talent. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, I think they're still learning through how to mesh all that together. We'll see if they, you know, if they can get that in the right direction. But is Malik Renew a good enough player that they can epicenter him in the offense? I know Khalil Ware is good, but is it feels to me like Renew a lot of times his points are coming kind of because they go to him because defenses are shifted elsewhere, and and Renew takes advantage of that, and he has played very well. Is he good enough? Or have they basically said he is going to be the primary focal point of our offense?
5: I think he can be. And, you know, this is – I got some heat last night for saying Indiana's a young team on Twitter. But if you if you just look at the numbers, I mean, they're outside – you know, Ken Palm keeps a um, a stat called Division One experience. Indiana's outside the top 200 nationally in that statistic. So they are a young team. And when you consider – how little basketball a lot of these players have played together. They're even younger um, in in terms of, you know, in particular, maybe navigating, for example, a tough road environment like the Rutgers uh, on Tuesday night. And I think Renew is both a promising young player, one that you can see a lot of obvious growth from last season to this season. He's fouling less. He's scoring more. Um, His assist rate isn't necessarily for example what Trace Jackson Davis's was a year ago but it's still the best on the team which obviously maybe you know says something a little bit about Indiana's guard play but also says you know shows what Renew, who I think had a seven assists if I'm not mistaken last night shows a little bit of what he's capable of as a a passing big and you also look at the growth of his offensive game I'd argue he might be Indiana's most dangerous three-point shooter right now when you combine his accuracy with you know, the likelihood of the sorts of defensive matchups he's going to get and the fact that he's probably going to be prone to getting a few more open threes, for the moment anyway, than a lot of his teammates. Um, But, and we've had this conversation, you know, around more experienced and and probably more talented bigs than Malik Renu. I'm thinking about Trace Jackson Davis, you know, possibly Juwan Morgan, um, some others in recent years. You know, if you can't, do the things that face the floor, move the ball, limit turnovers that a team needs to do if it is really genuinely sort of going to, I don't want to say sell out, but, but really invest in building around sort of a, a centerpiece big as, you know, 1A, 1B, whatever it may be in your offense, then you're going to struggle at times. And I think that's a little bit of what you saw last night, how many times, did Rutgers just completely collapse defensively um, or go to that matchup zone that paid very little respect to Indiana's ability to hit threes? And Rutgers, you know, I mean, it was not a – it was not, frankly, a a dissimilar game plan to the one that Rutgers ran at Indiana last year um, at the rack, And a game that went, frankly, even worse for Indiana, both in terms of the final score and kind of the complexion of the way the game unfolded, Um, basically just – suggesting Rutgers didn't think Indiana could shoot Rutgers out of those defensive coverages. And for two straight seasons, Indiana couldn't. So it's a little bit of, I I do think Malik Renu is improved at a level where you could look at him and you could say that's one of the eight to 10 most productive players in the big 10. That's the sort of player that can be again, one a or one B for a good team That's the sort of player that that should be commanding the kind of shot volume he's getting, the kind of possession volume he's getting. And you can also say in the same breath, but as we've said about Indiana in the past, if they can't space the floor better, if they can't move the ball better, if they can't take attention away from a big like that more consistently and more effectively, then he's going to wind up limited at times. And I just think that, you know, unless or until Indiana can do some things to, to free renew or call Some where sometimes it can be call there's no nothing wrong with that. But unless or until you can do the stuff that consistently frees those players up in the spots where they need the ball and they need the opportunities, you're going to have some nights where it just all gets bogged down and look, frankly, looks a little ugly.
3: Zach Osterman joins us, covers all things IU athletics for the Indy star. Zach, you mentioned being able to space the floor, open things up for bigs down low. And then you look at over the last three or four seasons in the Mike Woodson era, struggles from beyond the arc, noted struggles from the charity stripe. How much of that is the personnel that's being recruited versus the play style in terms of it not being executed?
5: I honestly, I'm not sure anymore because you can go back to you can go back to Archie Miller's tenure and, and have all the same conversations. Right, right. Is, it is bizarre at this point that in the, you know and it's funny. Before last night, Indiana, I think, shot 7-26 seven to, seven to from three last night. But a lot of that, to be fair, was Indiana kind of chasing the game late, taking a lot of threes in the last seven, eight minutes of the game, just trying to score quickly at volume. Before last night, Indiana actually, across its first four Big Ten games, had been shooting something like 41% from three. Um, but the problem with that was, not dissimilar to last season, it was never at very high volume, and so – while at least you're knocking down the threes you're taking, it's not really a prominent enough part of your offense for opponents to have to respect it. Um, you know, when you get a performance like last night, obviously it's just it's kind of a a, a total zero, if not a, a negative in some respects. The free throw shooting is one of those things. First of all, obviously four of fifteen is is probably going to be a bit of an outlier, but Indiana has struggled all year and has struggled, as you said, for the last few years in free throw shooting. That is actually the area where I think Indiana has got to be, got to find a way, whatever it is, to be sharper, just because of such a big part of this team's offense, this team specifically with Xavier Johnson, with with two bigs, with a bigger three and McKenzie and Baco, who's a good free throw shooter statistically, of such a big part of this team's offense is its ability to get to the free throw line. And frankly, even, you know, it, it wasn't a huge volume number, but, 15 free throws on the road in a big 10 game is not a horrible number. Um, And that was free throw attempts, not makes, obviously made four of them. But if, if your offense isn't going to shoot threes at a high volume, if your offense is going to, you know, ultimately wind up moving a little slower as offenses tend to have to, when you're going to play through the post the way that Indiana does, if you have the ability to get to the free throw line as consistently as Indiana's proven it can across the course of the season so far, you cannot waste those trips And even even if Indiana only shoots, you know, 67% from the free throw line last night, that's six more points in a game they lost by nine. Suddenly the last two minutes of that game take on a very different complexion. If you're only down by three, if you're only down by two and, and Rutgers, I think didn't hit a field goal over the last four minutes and 40 seconds of the game. So it's not like Rutgers was just sort of cruising by you. Um, those those are the points that like if, if, if I'm Mike Woodson today, and and I don't, (laughs) I never want to put words in anybody's mouth, but if I'm the head coach and I'm looking at the stat sheet after the game, as much as people want to talk about turnovers or the threes or whatever. And I do think that 26 threes number was their highest single game attempt uh, total this year. The one that probably is, is the one that I can't let go of the most Wednesday morning is the free throw number, because even, even more or less meeting Indiana's season-long throw shooting average, that's a one-possession game with two minutes to go. And for all of the discussion of Indiana didn't play well and this and that, they still have an opportunity to win. They can't let that go.
2: Hey, Zach, this is... I mean, I'm literally asking this hypothetically. And, and along your lines of it's January, so it's kind of absurd to start talking like bracketology. I mean, I get that, right? But... Unless there is obviously a scandal, which is not, there's no reason to believe that's the case. If Indiana simply has a disappointing season in the win loss column, is Mike Woodson at the point in his tenure where his seat could in fact be hot, or does he still kind of automatically, based on name and amount of tenure at this point, get another year? You know, does it even not even become discussed amongst? indiana brass
5: no i i I don't think it gets discussed to be completely honest and i think i mean you know there's always kind of this conversation to have about you know what the moment sort of tells you versus what the wider picture tells you and and i think both can be instructive at different times um i would point out that you know, a lot of people, including me, I mean, I think I picked Indiana sixth or seventh in the Big Ten this season, but I, I said when I did it that I just felt like I just kind of stuck them into the the vague middle of a conference with a lot of teams that it was hard to pin down. Um, you know, I think I had Ohio State, and I'll cop for that. Like, I just I didn't know what to expect because with the portal and roster turnover and all this, it's, it's just so hard to, to peg anymore. But a lot of people, including me, were saying, listen, you know, you don't get better very often for losing, you know, one of the most productive players of all time, for losing four-year five starters, for losing three seniors who've played all this basketball and all this basketball together and yada, yada, yada. I'm not suggesting Indiana fans shouldn't expect, like, the baseline to be, make the NCAA tournament nearly all the time. I don't, like, that's not, that shouldn't be that hard. 68 teams get in, 30-whatever of them, 37, 38, whatever it is, get in at that large. You know, it, it shouldn't be that hard to make the NCAA tournament virtually all the time in a program like Indiana. Um, in the macro, if, for example, we get to this point next season, Mike Woodson's done some good work in the portal. He's got Leon McNeelyan who I think is going to be a quick impact player in Indiana. And I, I know people don't want to hear this stuff the day after a frustrating loss. But the point is, the macro sometimes it doesn't match up to what you see day to day. I do think there are still reasons why people within the department will feel like the program is on good footing and it's moving forward solidly, even if this season ultimately winds up outside the NCAA tournament, which let's be very fair, while I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, if the season literally just ended today, Indiana wouldn't be in the tournament. They wouldn't even be in the conversation. So so let's, let's sort of be fair about where Indiana is right now. The short answer to your question, forgive me for rambling, is – I don't think Mike Woodson is is in any trouble. Um, I would be surprised if he was. And, you know, frankly, to to some extent for a program that, uh, you know, said when it fired Tom Crean that it was doing that because it felt like basically season to season, the roster, the results, the outlook had become too unstable to be trustworthy long-term, then pivoted to a coach who didn't make the tournament once in four seasons who was, I think, ranked for sixth of – 50 something weeks of basketball across those four seasons um, as head coach at Indiana. To go from that to a coach that comes in, makes back to back tournaments, back to back Big Ten tournaments, semifinals, you know, get to Indiana both recruiting and I guess the word would be drafting, I guess, at a level that it really hasn't seen, you know, for five, six, seven years. To put that coach on the hot seat after one frustrating season, I, I think would kind of run against the stability that Indiana is looking for. That's not to absolve Mike Woodson if Indiana doesn't make the tournament this season. I think he'd have to own that. I think he'd have to wear it. And I think, you know, there would have to be some conversations between him and Scott Dolson over how do we make sure this doesn't happen again in 2024, 2025, um, but I don't think he'd be in trouble after this year.
2: Zach, do you ever eat Lucky Charms? Did, did I ever eat Lucky Charms or yeah. do I
5: have any Lucky Charms? Do you yeah, ever of eat them? I Lucky charms.
2: What's that? Yeah.
5: Do you like Lucky yeah, Charms? Yeah, of course. I don't really eat cereal anymore. I have to uh, I have to admit it's it's not in my diet very much. Really?
2: Not like for like a, yeah. a midday snack?
5: No, my kids don't eat it. No, so um one of my kids eats toast, the other one eats yogurt. So I'm not a <laughs> we're put, not a, we're not a cereal house. you
2: put avocado on the toast? <laughs>
5: uh no i put chocolate chips on his toast because it's the only way to get him to eat it what the
2: hell hold on you're certain you're doing well here from a parenting standpoint. well you know i don't i don't go out with the sugar cereals because you know i've got kids now and i'm responsible and i feed them toast what do you put on it uh you know just basically mayo and chocolate chips
5: I mean, if, if I mean, if, if sugar cereal is what he'd eat in the morning, I'd give it to him. I okay, mean, you sure. know, it's, he's a piece right. five. I'm just, I'm just trying to get him to eat anything. So,
2: so you let's say you decide in that vein to go out and get a box of Lucky Charms. You, you open up the box and that little leprechaun fellow jumps out, and he's a fun guy, right? The little leprechaun guy. So he jumps out and he says, "Zach, I just had a conversation with Mike Woodson, and Mike Woodson told me the two players that he he I have because I'm a leprechaun, I can do this." I told him I can pick any two players to maximize their potential of what Mike Woodson thought they were going to be this year, but yet they have fallen short so far. What two players did Mike Woodson tell the Leprechaun?
5: Well, I think it would be I think W McKinney and Baco, because I think you can see it sometimes, particularly offensively in, in, in recent games. You can see Mbako starting to sort of understand a little bit better where to find his shot, how hard to work for them, what's a good decision, what's a bad decision. I think where Mike Woodson might want the leprechaun help is on defense and and just sort of the, you know, getting in to sort of understand, I don't know how to maybe the same focus for lack of a better term on defense that it seems like he's finding a little bit more the same, the same sort of perception and understanding that he's finding on offense, finding on defense. I I guess the other one, the, the second one I would be curious about, because I can give you a lot of different answers to that. Could it be somebody like Xavier Johnson, whether it's obviously even irrespective of Tuesday night, he's missed basically half the season because of the injury and Woodson just kind of needs him to be a more consistent presence. Would it be, you know, maybe somebody like Trey Galloway, not necessarily uh, haven't been on the floor, but Woodson would look at a game like Kansas and say, I'm not expecting you to score 28 a night, but I think you can be a more impactful offensive player than ultimately what Galloway's been able to carry over from last season when he shot the ball so well to this season when he's kind of struggled to find it. I also wonder if Woodson wouldn't look at somebody on his bench, whether it's a C.J. Gunn or a Caleb Banks, you know, somebody who he could look at and say, I just, I, I think that there's more sort of two-way impact, again, using Gunn or Banks' as examples, more two-way impact potential in there um, than, you know, those players have shown so far. And I know he got some kind of grief for his, his handling of his rotations in the first half Tuesday. I'm not completely sure the, the 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 complexion of the game actually bore out that criticism, but that's kind of a separate conversation. I would be fascinated to know who number two would be because I think number one, especially because Indiana is pretty clearly going to persist with Mbako at the three um, across the rest of the season. I've been intrigued by some of Woodson's smaller lineups with Anthony Walker at the four recently, but Mbako has remained in Woodson's estimation a three. Um, I think Mbako would be pretty clearly you know top of that list And then I would be fascinated to know who would be number two, because I think you can make an argument for, you know, three or four different guys, all of whom, if you could suddenly sort of snap your fingers and say, you know, I mean, like I I remember two years ago, I found a stat that Ray Thompson was one of only two players in the big 10 that had 18 games in conference play of at least eight points and six rebounds. And the point was other guys might do more, but there aren't that many players in the league who are more consistent in the baseline than Ray Thompson. If you could find, a baseline for C.J. Gunn or a baseline for Trey Galloway, I'd be fascinated to know who maybe that player would be for Woodson where he said if there's just one guy that I can just – every game I know he gives me X, Y, and Z as a starting point, that changes the calculus for us. I'd be fascinated to know who that was.
2: Indianapolis Star where you can read Zach's work. Chocolate chips all you need to join him for breakfast as long as you got a toaster. (laughs) Zach, appreciate it as always, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. right, Zach Osterman of the Indianapolis Star. We come back. Matt Painter saw something last night that he did not like. He's seen it before, but he doesn't want to see it again. And I'm not talking about a loss. We'll explain. (laughs) Hour from now, JMV will take over. We will continue our conversation predominantly about Indiana and Purdue from last night. Focusing now on the number one ranked Boilers who suffered their second loss of the year this time at the hands on the road of the hot shooting, Nebraska Cornhuskers joining us now on the program. It's always a pleasure when he does. So Alan carpet from golden black and Alan, I will begin with this while thanking you for your time. Did that game last night say more to us about Purdue or about the fact that Nebraska is a pretty darn good team in their own right?
1: Well, Jake a hey, for thank you for having me on. I always enjoy it as well. Um, you know, that's a good, that's a very good question. Uh, I I do think, and and you don't want to be dismissive when you lose a a game uh, the way Purdue did yesterday, but when a team shoots 14 of 23 from three uh, and throws in some shots, uh, Tomonanga especially, but he does that. And It's not like that's new for him because he's been doing that for uh, Nebraska basically since he's been there, but they hit hit some huge shots in, in a time where uh, you know pretty just didn't have you know when you have fourteen turnovers it wasn 't the number of turnovers it was when they had them in a game of run so i'm going to say it says a little bit more about uh, about the job that Fred Hoyberg is doing in Nebraska and that Nebraska is not your grandfather's or your brothers or your father's Nebraska anymore this is a team that's worthy of being being uh, cons-
0: raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to mcdonald's for mcnuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor come to mcdonald's and treat yourself to the grandma mcflurry today and participate participating mcdonald's for a limited time
4: whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you
1: And make a chance, make a definite run of the NCAA tournament. But Purdue's got to, you know, Purdue's got work to do, and uh, not a finished product. And you're not going to win many games. I don't think a lot of teams would have won yesterday the way that Nebraska shot the basketball. But Purdue, you know, needs to cut down on the turnovers. And and usually, usually it hasn't been starting slow. It did start start slow yesterday, uh, and it just uh, ended up uh, steamrolling on them at the end of the game.
2: Alan, one of the things that was of concern to me for Purdue, and then I want you to tell me why I'm wrong and why it's not of concern. And with Purdue, I, I'll i be honest, Alan, I, I look at the Boilers, and because I really like Matt Painter. I do. And I know he's a great coach. I want them so badly to be able to erase the stigma of the March shortcomings. So I don't want little things popping up over the course of the regular season that are forecasting a blueprint for people in March, and my concern is: last night, you can play physical and take away Zach Eady, but how then do, in particular, you know, Kaufman, Wren, or obviously Caleb first? How do those guys not kind of alleviate some of that away from Zach Eady? And how how was the entire basically front line eliminated? Was that a fluke, or is that a concern?
1: Um, I think that's a concern for me in that – in a little bit. And, gosh, you he, would be silly to, to lay a whole lot of that on Edie's relative – and I mean relative – lack of production. Now, Fowles have played into the last two games. Uh, he was limited. He played, ended up playing 30 minutes last night and only played 22 against Illinois. You know, I, I don't know. I think – I thought it was a good sign actually that first actually finally scored and had a, had a tip-in basket and a free throw – uh, but Kaufman Wren uh, basically flatlined over 15 minutes, though he still still had five re- five rebounds yesterday. I just think that I think Purdue ran into a buzzsaw. I do think that is a narrative that is so much a part of the Purdue sphere because everybody is looking for reasons where this is going to rear its ugly head come to come a March against uh, some low mid major early on. Uh, all that can happen uh, because uh, it, it, it's not like Purdue has completely washed that away, but you've got to t- take care of the basketball. Purdue could just find ways to get themselves down to nine to 10 turnovers, get four more possessions. When you're scoring like Purdue has historically done, maybe not as much last night, but their offense efficiency, they've got to simply let it happen. And, uh, Again, 14 isn't an egregious number of turnovers. It was just what it meant last night in runs by Nebraska. And I'm going to give Nebraska a lot of credit here. I just thought they kicked Purdue's butt. Purdue got back into the game in the second half, whittled it down to one point, and all of a sudden Nebraska made all the plays, made some big threes at the right time, got a couple somewhat unforced uh, pick-six turnovers, and all of a sudden the Cornhuskers were back in very good situations. Alan
3: Carper, Golden Black joins us. Alan, it's clear at times, and the large majority of the season as well, that it looks like Purdue has fixed what plagued them a year ago, which mm-hmm. is, well, if you just take away Zach Eadie and dare anybody else to shoot, especially from the perimeter, you're going to have a good fighting chance and might even win the game because of it. It's clear they're a deeper team, and it's clear they're more efficient from beyond the arc. But to Jake's point about there maybe being a blueprint, when you look at the two losses— to Northwestern and to Nebraska, both on the road, both kind of life in the Big Ten. And for Northwestern, it took an overtime trip to get it done. The underlying of some of it has been Zach Eadie foul trouble. They're letting him play physical because the Big Ten and the shooting hasn't always been there in a timely fashion. It's been there in volumes, but it hasn't been enough to come over the hump, rally back. Is there any blueprint in terms of, like Jake mentioned, well, this could be something... When you look at those two losses, or is it simply the Big Ten's a tough conference, and those are two solid teams?
1: Yeah, I'm going to give you another Billy Martin answer and say I feel strongly both ways. The old light beer commercial, <laughs> but I, I think I do think that that's in Billy Martin's way before your guys' time, but not uh, mine, brother. Uh, uh, but but my point is is that combination of the two, and yet I do think Purdue, like any other team. Look at UConn last year, and I, and and I understand we're talking about you teams have to evolve. They have to get better over the Purdue's got to fix some of these issues. I mean, you know, you can't you can't do what Purdue did. They got to find an answer if if they're gonna if they're gonna pony up to to Edie and, you know, Edie also, even though he only, he only had three turnovers, but he had three bad turnovers. I think two of them resulted in pick sixes last, last last night or easy uh, Nebraska turnovers. Again, hard to blame what probably will be the two time uh, player of the year. But my point is just got to get better and get better at, at certain things down the stretch. When you look at the three point shooting last night, yeah, outside of Mason Gillis, Purdue is a, is 8 for 23. Uh, you know, Mason was 5 for 10. Um, you know, Lance Jones, I think, was 2 for 8. Lawyer ended up, uh, shooting, ended up not being all that bad at 3 for 6. But it's a combination of the two. But I think also, I think Purdue, I'm going to stick to the narrative that Purdue is a year older, in better situation. But they're still going to have to be better. They better be better in March than they are on, on the uh, 10th of January, or I don't think they're going to lose in the first round, but they're going to fall short of the final four. But UConn, I'll just use them as an example, got a hell of a lot better last year as the season went on. They had the players to do so. I think Purdue does as well, and I think that's uh, that, that'll be the storyline, is will Purdue continue to get better and uh, be ready in March? Yes. Uh I think all the signs can be there despite what happened last night,
2: Alan. One of the things that and it's a it's it's actually probably oddly like a good problem to have, but I'm always curious about this about this with teams that have a definitive go to guy as Purdue does clearly, yeah, but they have so many other good pieces that when Edie is taken out of a game, do you think they have a definitive like Modus operandi of the way that they operate without him? Like, do they have an immediate, okay, this isn't working, so now we are going to blank? Or do they fall victim to, because they have so many guys that can make plays, all of them kind of assuming that the other guy's going to do so?
1: You know, you guys are asking good questions today, and of which I don't know that I have good answers, but Brayden Smith, I think, is. And I think he is still also involving. He did not have one of his better games last night. He wasn't awful. Uh, I think he had about seven assists and and four turnovers. That was a little bit more than you want to see. Uh, Excuse me, four rebounds. He had uh, just two turnovers yesterday. But my point is, I, I think Braden can lead you to what you need to do and be able to direct traffic, which is still a pretty formidable Big Ten front line. Yes, Caleb First has not been as good as you'd like, maybe, or not gotten the minutes to be as good as you'd like. But they've got, you know, Trey and Red can go for 20 some points against Illinois. We know what Gillis can do. There are enough pieces there that I think even if you took Zach Eady off Purdue, Purdue would be a team that would still be competing. I wouldn't say they'd be the favorite by any stretch, but they'd be in the very upper echelon of the big 10. But you always struggle when you are so focused on what a guy like Edie could do and who, who can blame Matt Painter and staff for wanting to focus on that of actually figuring out what you have after that. And I, I think they do struggle with that from time to time. But I think that uh, I also think Braden Smith is their takeover guy in that position at the point, And they've got a lot of weapons inside, but you never got, you know, and again, maybe the way that the game worked out, and of course, Gillis comes in and makes shots early, and that's why Kaufman Wren only got 15 minutes last night. Uh, it's hard to explain how somebody can go for 20, but that's kind of also the function of Purdue's 10 person rotation, or at least nine and a half. You know, Miles Coleman did finally get back into a game after not playing against Illinois. I still think Matt Painter's working with it, I still think they're going to stay close to that 10 man rotation. But you know, it was interesting. I thought too last night. He played Heidi a lot last night, and Heidi did do some good things for most of the game. Uh, you know, he was plus ten on the plus minus yesterday. The only one that uh, that wasn't a complete train wreck in that category. So uh, I think he's still. I think he's still messing with. He's. It's a good problem to have an identity outside of what uh, Zach Eadie is. A good storyline that uh, Purdue would, wants to be in better position without Edie uh, because God only knows what's going to happen in the NCAA tournament. Uh, You need to be ready for that time, and and I think they're trying to do some things to work on that level.
2: Alan Karpik is our guest, goldenblack.com, of course, where you can read his work talking about Purdue. Alan, I do think, and I wanted you to expand on this, um, and, and obviously he was a really good player as a young player last year anyway, but I do think that this year, even as well as he played last year, That Braden Smith has shown you know I know that as you mentioned last night maybe a couple of turnovers whatnot but he has to me really started to round himself and mature himself into a player that even as good as he was as a freshman he is a more complete player this year than last and a more composed player this year than last your thoughts
1: Uh, absolutely and he and he's been he's played his way again last night notwithstanding uh, into the conversation of the top three team All-American, in my view, if Purdue ends up having the year that it looks like it continued to have, despite what happened last night, so um, you know I, I think he's a guy that uh, he's tough-minded. We've all known that around Central Indiana what he's what he's been as a basketball player, uh, and I just think he's if Purdue's going to do what it has to do, wants to do in March, he will certainly be a big big part of that, and I think him and Edie also. I, just think, I do think there is something to be said about how Fred Hoiberg and, and, and to some extent Brad Underwood took on uh, Purdue defensively and whether that's going to be a trend and whether Purdue's going to have to pivot to some extent or tweak to that as it goes to Bloomington on Tuesday, uh, even Penn State on Saturday. Yeah, I think teams are going to try to muscle up Edie and, and try to limit Smith's uh, looks, but how Purdue adjusts to it Uh, I think it's a good problem for Purdue to have because I think Braden Smith has turned himself into a uh, – if he's not an elite player nationally, he's on the door of it uh, just based on his performance so far.
3: Alan Karpika, Golden Black, is our guest. Alan, barring a collapse of historic proportions, this next question does not matter directly for Purdue, but it does matter for the entirety of the Big Ten. When you look at the conference just this season, not moving forward, not in the past – just this season, how do you view the overall health of the big ten when it comes to tournament aspirations, the whole nine in terms of perception around the country?
1: Well, I think the narrative is that it's, it's it's light at best uh you know you're talking six, seven teams or whatever in there, but I will say, having watched past the eyeball test of looking at Illinois in person last Friday night, I know that purdue was in control for most of that game, though the game ended up getting somewhat close down the stretch. Illinois looks the part uh, of a team that could be very, very dangerous. Um, And even Nebraska has, uh, with Rink Mast, uh, he brings them also into a little bit different level. Of course, uh, the uh, inside player, that can do a lot of different things if you can catch them at the right time. Uh, I have not seen Wisconsin in person. I've I obviously haven't seen him in person. I've only watched them a couple times on TV. We know what Wisconsin tends to be, and that's be pretty good. I don't know if you have outside of teams that really look, at least now, that look to be elite eight contenders. You know, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at Purdue and Illinois or the teams that I and, and that may be a silly talk because Wisconsin's leading Purdue by a game and a half in the Big Ten right now, but. Um, I just think that those are the teams, at least based on what I've watched, are teams that really could be that. That to me would be elite eight contenders. But never sleep on Michigan State. I know Michigan State is uh, is struggling in some ways, but uh, uh, and and even Indiana, as poorly as Indiana played, I thought yesterday against Rutgers in the second half of watching that game. There's still enough talent there, and I can guarantee you there isn't a Purdue fan out there that. Uh, is going to look past next Tuesday and think it's going to be a walk in the park because you've got to be crazy if you think that's going to be the case if you're Purdue. So somebody may sneak up there. I agree that the narrative is probably true that the league is not as good, but I still think that Purdue and Illinois, especially based on what I've seen, uh, should be, could be teams that could go very deep. And of course, Illinois, and I'm not even expecting Terrence Shannon to come back. I mean, I have no idea what's going to happen in that deal. But I liked uh, what I saw from Illinois in terms of a team with some toughness. And uh, Marcus Damask is pretty dang good. Uh, they've got they've got some guys that I think can stand the test of the NCAA tournament. Though they haven't had had a great deal of success in the tournament uh, under Brad Underwood either.
2: By the way, Alan, I um, you know. You mentioned Billy Martin and the old Miller Lite ads, right? <laughs> now, when I was in college, admittedly, uh, I wasn't necessarily a Miller Lite guy. I wasn't really a beer drinker in college, but, but I do enjoy a cold beer. So here's my question Good. for you. So we're going to pretend that, uh, you know, this is, of course, if, we, if you and I were in college, Alan, right now, and we're, we're both 21 years old, so we're both legal. We go to Harry's Chocolate Shop. We get a beer. First off, if, if you were going to get a beer, you would get What?
1: Back in college, I would have gotten the Miller Light, believe it or not, because I love—I I still do like b- light beer. Uh, if I was in college now, I'd probably still because they're all counting carbs these yeah, days. Yeah, it's right? less filling and you
2: know? it tastes great, as you know.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. And Coors Light and all that stuff, but I'm now—I've—I've—I've I've, I've graduated way into this. Uh, uh, god awful craft beer world. though actually, it's not god awful. I like <laughs> it's it, great. I know. It. It's just, it's just, a, it's just too many calories. for I was going to say, it's like it, a little, little wrong, thicker, but, uh,
2: right? Okay, so a
1: little bit thicker. Yeah, but so are, are we, mobile.
2: right? Okay, so, so we go and we have a couple of craft beers and Miller Lights, whatever, and then we go to the game. We're both twenty-one years old. We're both at Purdue. We're enjoying the game. Uh, true or false? You would court rush if you were a student? It was a big game, and the number one <laughs> team came calling, and you beat them.
1: Oh God, I'm getting tired of it. And I'm trying not to I'm not a Purdue I'm I'm a Purdue observer, but I think Purdue's gotta be getting tired of that. Heck yes, I'd court rust.
2: There we go. See that's uh, what because you know
1: Um uh, and and you know it's funny my and I'm old enough to have kids uh that were at the age of and they weren't even in college, but they were 10, ten, eleven years old and Robbie Hummel, uh Purdue you know Hummel's first year, the Baby Boilers, and they beat Wisconsin uh, on a last-second block shot, a very good Wisconsin team in Mackey Arena, and I think that's the last time that Purdue has rushed the court in Mackey Arena, if I, if my memory serves, and uh, I sent them both out there. Now, I didn't go out there, but I said, hey, get out there. You may never get the chance to do it. Of course, I think they were juniors in high school, or junior high maybe, but uh, heck yes, I'd, I'd rush the court, because... What else do you do in college? Well, that's especially in
2: Nebraska, right? But here's the thing.
1: And and, and, and Jake, beer's got something to do with all this. (laughs) It's got something to do. There's a correlation there between alcohol in stadiums and rushing the court, don't you think? Uh,
2: Gee, I would think that they're, you know, (laughs) judgment may be out the window. But here, so you heard Matt Painter yesterday say, and I don't think he was necessarily being the fun police. I think he was more saying, look, can we come up with, like a lane you clear for the visiting team to get off the floor or whatever it might be. And truthfully, Alan, and maybe it's a question with no real answer, what can be done, though?
1: You know, at the spur of the moment, you knew that one was coming, even though I was kind of wondering because of the spread. uh, I wondered, you know, if they were going to do that. I think Purdue's had the court rushed out on every Big Ten loss in the last three years, with the exception, I believe, of the Michigan game when Purdue got boat raced pretty good when Jaden Ivy, etc., up there. And I may be wrong on that, but my point is I, I, you know, you'd like to think you could figure out a way, but I don't know how you do that because there also can be the emotion of this all of a sudden percolating up within, you know, you're down four and, and, uh, uh, and you're, you're, you're on the road and look like Purdue's going to win a game. I'm using this example and all of a sudden things change. Uh, they're coming baby. And, uh, so last night they could have probably had a rope line for it because you knew a minute and a half left this this game was over and uh, but that hasn't been very often been the case in these Purdue games um, uh, certainly going all the way back to Ron Harper's juniors half court shot at Rutgers a couple of years ago uh, it happens fast so I, I feel for Matt Painter and staff I think that's a nobody likes it because there's an element of danger in there just because you don't know if somebody's going to bop you on the back of the head or, or run you over or twist your ankle. I get that part of it, but I'm not sure. I'm not very good at offering solutions in general. Uh, this is one. I'm not sure I have an, I have an offer for uh, offer a good suggestion at all. Uh, I wish, I wish if you're a Purdue fan, you sure wish they'd stop that. Just stop happening. You know, me, but, uh, it's going to happen. I, listen,
2: speaking of like the, the, I guess probably, I mean, this is worst case scenario, but speaking of former Purdue players, Alan, years ago, I'm in college, right? We're sitting around a couple of guys in college and one of them, probably Miller Lite involved in this, said, you know, we're doing, we're doing like true high school confessions, right? You know, and everybody's like, yeah, you know, I never really did go out with so-and-so that kind of thing. One of the guys who was from Anderson goes, yeah, okay, I'll admit it. And I can't remember, where did, did Link Darner play at Madison Heights? Was he Madison Heights or Highland?
1: Highland. Highland. Highland, Highland. Yeah.
2: So I think, I think the guy in the confession here went to Anderson, and Anderson had beaten Highland, and he goes, we stormed the court, and I admit, I punched Link Darner in the back of the head. Okay, well, but that's the kind of thing, honestly. Kidding aside, like, you, you do no, wonder, like with coaches, that's probably why they want to get their team the heck out of there, right? Because you just never yeah, know, right? Did.
1: Yeah, and I and I think guys, and I partly was saying, you know, they they can get run over because of the rush of the crowd, so to speak. But you don't want to turn this into uh, to the running of the bulls every uh, right. every night. I mean, if you're if you so yes, that stuff can happen. And again, getting back to that alcohol correlation, yeah, you don't want to, <laughs> you, you know, you you know, if if they didn't like Braden Smith and the way he you know he shot a three with a minute and a half to go and taunted the crowd and then Purdue ends up losing, yeah, somebody else could. Could uh, do a haymaker that way. Yeah, you just—that's what I don't like. But again, I'm not—I'm talking about it, but I'm not offering much in the way of good solutions to it.
2: I've always wanted to do the running of the bulls. By the way, I don't know if it's oh, like some man. Ernest Hemingway thing in me, and I'm and I'm an animal <laughs> lover, so I hate the way it ends for the bulls. I'd like to see that yeah. completely outlawed. But the running of the bulls—I I have to admit—I I think it'd be like exhilarating. But then you always get that one jackass that thinks he can go in front and like lead the field, and it's not a good idea.
1: Yeah, you don't want it. You don't want to lead the field in this deal, but <laughs> correct. I just want to get to Spain. I want to see where it happens. I'll, I'll take that.
2: You know what's interesting, <laughs> Alan? Before we let you go, have you been to Spain? No, I have not. No, so I have not. did not. I did not realize this. Pamplona, obviously, where the running of the bulls is. So bullfighting is obviously you know a huge cultural custom in Spain. But in many parts of Spain, it has been outlawed, including I was in Barcelona a year ago. And the largest kind of, like, basically the Circle Center Mall of Barcelona is a repurposed bullfighting ring. It used to be a bullfighting ring, and now it's like a, a shopping area. And I was surprised to learn, and, and truthfully, probably somewhat relieved to learn, um, how really, to be honest with you, like, looked down upon bullfighting was in most parts of Spain. Because they realized kind of the cruelty of it, I guess. You know what I mean? Um but the Pamplona area is the one area of Spain where they still do it.
1: This will be a first in my interview history of talking about bullfighting and basketball, but you are right that the whole notion of I'm with you 100%. I, it's not my, it is not my cup of tea. I appreciate the fact, the tradition of it, but after that, I just assume that I think the Bulls uh, need to have a better fate.
2: I would agree with that. Alan, we appreciate it. As always, look forward to talking to you again
1: over the course of the season. All right, guys. Have a great rest of the show and thanks so
2: much. That is uh, Alan Carp at goldenblack.com. He'd be fun to go to just go to Harry's, have a Miller Lite, talk about some Hemingway books. There's one thing from that conversation, and I wanted to double
3: check to make sure I was accurate before I said it. While I get the funny nature of it, of college kids and drinking and all that, they still storm the court at BYU it's not it's
2: not it's not it's not and not, that's not even caffeine right exactly, right? exactly. So that's like, not even caffeine right I, I
3: get it but like it's it's a natural part about being a college student and being a. Fan like oh the my roommate time.
2: had three diet pepsis last <laughs> night when Hogwild. uh we come back breaking news within the nfl and surprising news one of the most charismatic figures in the league might not be on the sidelines we'll let you know what i'm talking about next